0: Welcome to Justice Speaks, the podcast produced by the NYU Review of Law and Social Change. I'm Krill Basin. Today we'll be discussing the upcoming decision by the Supreme Court in Town of Greece v. Galloway. The case is about whether the Town of Greece violated the Establishment Clause and its long-standing practice of opening up town council meetings with prayer. The Establishment Clause of the First Amendment states simply that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. The clause was initially meant to prevent the federal government from officially sanctioning a state religion. It has since been applied to individual state governments in a process known as incorporation. One of the leading cases in Establishment Clause jurisprudence, and the one most applicable to the Town of Greece v. Galloway case, is Marsh v. Chambers. In Marsh, the Supreme Court upheld the practice by the Nebraska legislature of opening its sessions with prayers by a paid legislative chaplain. In upholding the practice, the court relied on what it called the non-sectarian nature of the prayers, the fact that the prayers did not favor one sect or religion over another, and what the court called the unique history of legislative prayer. The court noted that the first Congress, composed of many of the Founding Fathers, voted to hire a paid legislative chaplain to open its sessions. Of particular relevance to the court was the vote by James Madison in favor of hiring a chaplain to deliver prayers. James Madison essentially wrote the First Amendment, and the reasoning employed by the court was that his vote was indicative of an original understanding by the founders that legislative prayer was permissible within the meaning of the Establishment Clause. In the first portion of this podcast, we'll hear from Dan Mock, Director of the ACLU's Program on Freedom of Religion and Belief in Washington, D.C., next, we'll hear from Burt Newborn who is the Inez Milholland Professor of Civil Liberties at NYU School of Law and the former National Legal Director of the ACLU. But before we begin, we'd like to play a couple clips from oral arguments in Town of Greece v. Galloway by attorneys on either side of the case that help to frame both sides of the issue. In this clip, Thomas J. Hunger, appearing on behalf of the Town of Greece, explains why he believes the town's practice of opening its council meetings with prayers should be upheld as constitutional according to Marsh. What we have here is a case of legislative prayer and the Marsh Doctrine which recognizes that the history of this country from its very foundations and founding recognized the propriety of legislative prayer. And in this clip, attorney Douglas Laycock, arguing that the court should find a violation of the Establishment Clause, discusses what he believes is a problematic aspect of town council prayers.
1: What's coercive about it is it is impossible not to participate without attracting attention to yourself. And moments later, you stand up to ask for a group home for your Down syndrome child or for continued use of the public access channel or whatever your petition is, uh, having just, so far as you can tell, irritated the people that you were trying to persuade.
0: Now that you've heard from attorneys representing both sides of the issue, our first guest today will be Dan Mock.
2: Hi, I'm Dan Mack. I'm director of the ACLU program on freedom of religion and belief, and uh, we work on many issues related to the Town of Greece case. We filed an amicus brief in the case, and we have similar cases around the country.
0: Here I ask Mr. Mack what makes Town of Greece an important decision.
2: Well, I think it's a decision that will be one to watch closely. Uh, notably, the Roberts court hasn't really... Tackled Establishment Clause issues head on yet. It's um, mentioned it in the margins. It's addressed standing in Establishment Clause cases. It has mentioned the Establishment Clause together with the Free Exercise Clause in in the narrow context of the ministerial exception, which gives religious organizations some constitutional leeway when hiring and firing ministers. Uh, But it has never really. squarely focused on uh, the merits issues in Establishment Clause cases. So now, for the first time, we may hear some broader proclamations from the Roberts Court um, about the fundamental principles underlying the Establishment Clause.
0: Legislative prayer is the practice of opening legislative sessions with prayers. I asked Mr. Mock if he could give me some understanding of what the Supreme Court has historically said about legislative prayer.
2: Um, the question of legislative prayer is one that the court in the past has treated uniquely as its, as its own special category.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So 30 years ago in Marsh versus Chambers, the Supreme Court carved out this narrow exception to the Establishment Clause, um, in that case, upholding Nebraska's practice of opening state legislative sessions with government-sponsored invocation. And in that case, in, in upholding that practice, um, the court, essentially abandoned the standard rule forbidding uh, the government from sponsoring official prayer and re- it relied on a number of things, including what it called the unique history of legislative prayer. Mm-hmm. So this in March was a clear departure from the long-standing touchstone of the establishment clause. That's the first amendment mandates neutrality, neutrality among religions and between religion and non religion So, Neither before nor since has the court upheld government-sponsored prayer, and it hasn't expanded Marsh to other contexts, so it may be um, its own special category.
0: I asked Mr. Mock whether it was his position that Marsh should be overruled.
2: We think Marsh should be revisited. Barring that, what should happen, in our view, is that it should limit uh, the the harm that this contentious practice, legislative prayer, causes and require that, that when they are allowed, that they be only non-sectarian.
0: Then I asked, what harm does sectarian legislative prayer actually cause?
2: If the court opens the door for sectarian um, prayer sponsored by the government in this setting, I do think that there will be a cost. Uh, many people, Jews, Muslims, non-believers, can't in good conscience participate in prayers to other deities. And that's true of Christians as well, many Christians. And and doing so, um, participating, standing, bowing your head, um, should not be a price of civic participation. And and I hope that even a ruling in favor of the town won't lead to um, widespread abuses in this area.
0: I asked Mr. Mock how town councils were different from the setting in Marsh, where prayers were delivered before state legislative sessions.
1: One of,
2: one of the things that the plaintiffs have focused on in the case is not just the sectarian nature of the prayer, but the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, This is a an inherently coercive setting. It's different from, say, Congress, there is direct participation by uh, members of the town, some of whom need to ask these very same board members for um, a redress of grievances or for approval of a zoning request. Right. And so to stand in this very small room uh, where everyone else is standing participating and, and to to visibly not participate is is uh, intimidating. I think it's the think the plaintiffs are right that it's coercive. So so hopefully it, this sort of setting won't suffer um, as a result of the decision.
0: Here Mr. Mock explains what a sectarian prayer actually is.
2: Justice Galea um in in uh an opinion uh ex- explained And not only did he, did he note that, that it was easy to identify, but he actually remarked that our constitutional tradition has ruled out of order um, sectarian endorsements by the government. And, and I think that's been clear in every context outside of this one. And it should be clear here too.
0: The Second Circuit held that the town of Greece violated the Establishment Clause in their legislative prayer practice using a totality of the circumstances approach looking to see whether the content of the prayers and the selection of chaplains by the town, taken as a whole, violated the Establishment Clause, while refusing to lay down any bright-line rules for when an Establishment Clause violation occurs. We asked Mr. Mack if he believed that the Supreme Court would adopt the Second Circuit's
2: reasoning. It's possible. Um, the, that was not really pushed by the plaintiffs themselves in the Supreme Court, that reasoning um, and that, that sense of a, a totality of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's quite possible that the court could could rest on that. that again, judging from the briefing and the argument, um, I think that's not all that likely, but um, it's always a dangerous thing predicting votes in the court.
0: We asked Mr. Mock how he would like to see the Supreme Court rule on this case.
2: Well, again, I, the, the, the first thing I'd like to see is... the. the no, no government-sponsored prayer of any kind. But assuming that Marsh is still the law of the land after the Town of Greece decision, uh, at the very least, I think the court should should make sectarian government prayer uh, off limits. So, so to to establish a rule that many lower courts have already set, and that that has uh, a rule that has worked in in a great many places around the country already, to say, look, if you're going to do this. Do it in a non sectarian, inclusive way. Um, that still leaves out many people, um, including mm-hmm. non believers, which, mm-hmm. which is unacceptable, but it, it is better than um, a situation in which a, a government, a local government, aligns itself with one faith consistently over and over. It's sending a message out that there are insiders and outsiders, and uh, it's divisive along religious lines.
0: We'd like to thank Mr. Mock for joining us and for his insights into the town of Grease v. Galloway and the Establishment Clause. Our next guest today will be Burt Newborn, NYU School of Law professor and former legal director of the ACLU, where he was involved in litigating a number of Establishment Clause cases. Thank you for joining us today, Professor Newborn. I asked Professor Newborn whether Town of Grease v. Galloway should be decided based on Marsh v. Chambers, which upheld legislative prayers based on a historical exception to traditional Establishment Clause
1: jurisprudence up to me, the best rule is to overturn Marsh, mm-hmm. well, Marsh was wrong. I right. mean, it was, a, it was an incorrect historical analogy, and that you can't have legislative chaplains um, uh, because uh, that's as, as direct, campaign. certainly can't have paid legislative mm-hmm. chaplains, because that's as, as direct a violation of the Establishment Clause as you can imagine.
0: Should historical practice, specifically the practice by the first Congress, of holding legislative prayers, decide the issue in
1: town of Greece?
0: Or, as Justice Scalia asked in this excerpt from Oral Arguments,
1: If it was constitutional in the past, why why would it be unconstitutional if the same thing is done today? We
0: posed the question to Professor Newborn.
1: Marsh was, I think, such a strange case. Marsh was a historical exception right. to the traditional establishment clause. And they based the historical exception on the grounds that Madison, um, uh, as a congressman, voted for the first Chaplain of the Senate. What they don't say, Chaplain of the House, what they don't say is that after Madison left political life when he Mm -hmm. was in retirement in the 1820s, Madison wrote a piece saying that that was the worst vote he ever cast. He was ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. It violated the Establishment Clause and it demonstrated why you needed a Supreme Court to pass on legislators because you couldn't trust them in situations where they're under political pressure. That part of Madison's historical record the court chose to ignore. (laughs) Instead, they just cited Madison's Madison's vote, which is, of course, a perfect example of why history is a terrible guide.
0: We asked Professor Newborn why it was important to monitor government acts, such as the opening of town council meetings with prayer.
1: Um, I remember when I was a kid, a young lawyer at the ACLU, they used to send me out every Christmas to get rid of crashes all throughout the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Little towns would have a crash, and the crash was illegal mm-hmm. um, at that point, and I could get rid of it. Um, but I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why do I care whether they have a crash? Right. And, um, uh, and so I was, um, and you know, the argument was, well, there are people in town that don't believe, and they shouldn't be forced to look at a symbol um, where the town aggrandizes um, a religion that is not their own. And I thought to myself, I don't know, uh, isn't it enough if they would be allowed to, um, or you know, entitled, to have a display of their own religious symbols? Mm-hmm. Why, why, do we have to, uh, why do we have to choose this way? Um, and then, then, of course, the, the law got so technical. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have a crash mm-hmm. if it had reindeer and Santa clauses and enough uh, plastic animals of bad taste. So that you could say that it was a symbol of the season. Right. But if you displayed the religious symbol with the dignity to which a great religious symbol is entitled, then you could stamp it out. Right. And I, so I wrote an essay, I wrote a memo in those years called the Two Plastic Animal Rule, mm-hmm. which said that um, the Establishment Clause says that the Constitution requires that if you're going to display a religious symbol, you have to uh, you have to um, link it with two or more animals of sufficiently bad <laughs> taste. Um, and, and you know this is the disnification. Of, of religious symbolism, it always struck me as a little nuts. Right. Um, and, uh, but people care passionately about it, um, and some of my board members, some of the ACLU board members used to say that you don't understand. If you live in a small community, the linkage between the power um, uh, centers and the religion is so intense Mm -hmm. that if you're not part of that, you really do feel excluded. Mm -hmm. And this is an important line drawing that says to the power people in the town, there are limits on Mm -hmm. where you can go. And they said, Bert, trust us. It's worth doing. And so I kept doing it.
0: We asked Professor Newborn exactly what kind of harm sectarian prayer causes.
1: Uh, A community that wants to start its legislative sessions, town council, with a prayer. Um, makes me feel comfortable. I, you, you know, it's, it strikes me as, you know, pledging allegiance to the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a meaningless, uh, almost hypocritical gesture these sure. days. But if it makes some people feel better, doesn't bother me. Um, right. Um, and of course the argument is, though, if they're going to do that, it has to be a non-denominational prayer so that everybody feels included. Mm-hmm. And that would be nice.
0: We asked Professor Newborn whether limiting prayers to those of a non-sectarian nature makes everyone feel included. The atheists, the atheists,
1: the atheists. atheists, right? They, you know, and believe me, they're not going to have a prayer for the Wiccans, and they're not going to have. Right. A,
0: Interestingly enough, the town of Greece brought in some Wiccans. I know after some Wiccan. The bus got started. I know, but, but that's
1: because their lawyer told them to do it. We asked,
0: we asked Professor Newborn how he
1: thinks the Supreme Court should decide the case. The best rule is to overturn Marsh. Mm-hmm. So Marsh was wrong, right. I mean, it, was a, it was an incorrect historical analogy. We asked
0: Professor Newborn if the Supreme Court should use the totality of the circumstances approach advocated by the Second Circuit.
1: Um, I think the uh, Second Circuit uh, opinion is um, impossible. It's the worst of all worlds. I think it's the government meddling in who's going to say what prayers at right. the beginning of a... That's worse than letting private people do it. Right. I mean, the one th- entity I don't want saying who prays and who doesn't is the
0: government. That point of view was echoed by Principal Deputy Solicitor General Ian Gershngorn arguing before the Supreme Court as Amicus on behalf of the town of Greece in this clip. It invites exactly the sort of parsing of prayer that Marsh sought to avoid. Finally, we asked Professor Newborn for a prediction on how the Supreme Court is likely to decide this case.
1: So I suspect that whatever they do, they're going to knock out the Second Circuit opinion. Um, that leaves them with a, a hard choice and that's whether or not uh, there's enough evidence to indicate that there's a conscious desire to maximize religions that um, uh, uh, view Christ as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, a religious uh, symbol uh, as opposed to others mm-hmm. and they could then say it's like uh, jury selection uh, it's, it's based on a fact, it's it's fact-based. Right. We don't know whether you're striking people because of race, but if there's a pattern of striking right, people right. because of race, we'll find it unconstitutional. Right. We don't know whether you're intending to advance one particular religion. Right. And, but in, and if there's a pattern, we'll strike it down.
0: We'd like to thank Professor Newborn for taking his time to share with us his insights on the Town of Greece v. Galloway case and the Establishment Clause. And thank you all for tuning in. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts featuring clips of Supreme Court oral arguments and commentary by scholars and practitioners. This podcast was produced by the NYU Review of Law and Social Change.